Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Friday of the 24th week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Look upon us, O God, creator and ruler of all things, and that we may feel the working of your mercy, grant that we may serve you with all our heart. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. If Christ raised from the dead is what has been preached, how can some of you be saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ himself cannot have been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and your believing it useless. Indeed, we are shown up as witnesses who have committed perjury before God, because we swore in evidence before God that he had raised Christ to life. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. And what is more serious, all who have died in Christ have perished. If our hope in Christ has been for this life only, we are the most unfortunate of all people. But Christ has in fact been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, when your glory appears, my joy will be full. Lord, when your glory appears, my joy will be full. Lord, hear a cause that is just. Pay heed to my cry. Turn your ear to my prayer. No deceit is on my lips. Lord, when your glory appears, my joy will be full. I am here and I call. You will hear me, O God. Turn your ear to me, hear my words. Display your great love, you whose right hand saves, your friends from those who rebel against them. Lord, when your glory appears, my joy will be full. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. As for me, in my justice, I shall see your face and be filled when I awake with the sight of your glory. Lord, when your glory appears, 
my joy will be full. Alleluia, alleluia. Blessed are you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have revealed to little ones the mysteries of the kingdom. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus made his way through the towns and villages preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. With him went the twelve, as well as certain women who had been cured of evil spirits and ailments. Mary, surnamed the Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward Chuzar. Susanna, and several others who provided for them out of their own resources. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one thing we can say about St. Paul is that he's pretty blunt. He says what he means, and he says it in a pretty unvarnished kind of way. Have a listen again to what we heard in the first reading. If there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ himself cannot have been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your believing it is useless. He really boils it down to the essentials and puts it all on the line. Listen again. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. And what's more serious, all who have died in Christ have perished. If our hope in Christ has been for this life only, we are the most unfortunate of all people. So here's Paul's conviction, right? The empty tomb of Jesus is the beginning of the empty tombs of all of the redeemed. He says, Christ has in fact been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. He's the first picking of the harvest. But his resurrection is absolutely essential. His victory over death means our victory over death. Now, I wonder how clear that point really is to us when, you know, we come to celebrate Easter Sunday, for example. I often get the feeling that when Easter Sunday comes around, we all get this great sense of relief that having gone through all of the difficulties and hardships of Holy Week, that we come to Easter Sunday and we think, oh, thank God it turned out well for Jesus. But in actual fact, it's turned out well for us. It's not just that we look at Christ's empty tomb and clap and think, well, that's great for him. Because the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning. Now, I think it can be difficult to see precisely how that works. Why is it that Jesus' resurrection then becomes the indication of ours? I think in order to come up with a bit of a response to that, we need to do a little bit of a summary of what St. Paul means by us being incorporated into the body of Christ. So we're going to pull together a few different bits and pieces from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians in order to try and paint this picture which St. Paul is presenting to us. So listen to this. This is from chapter 12. Just as a human body, though it is made up of many parts, is a single unit 
because all these parts, though many, make one body. So it is with Christ. In the one spirit we were all baptized, Jews as well as Greeks, slaves as well as citizens, and one spirit was given to us all to drink. All right, that's step one. The gift of the spirit brings together the many different bits to come into one body. All right, how do we understand that? What does that mean? Well, think of it this way. What is it that makes all the different parts of my body mine? What makes my hand my hand? Is it just because it's close to me? Well, no, not really, because my shirt is closer to my head than my hand is, and yet my shirt is not part of me, but my hand is. I mean, obviously, it's not just a question about proximity to my body because, you know, the clothes I wear don't suddenly become alive. The food I eat, that becomes incredibly close to me. It comes inside my body, and yet that's not alive either. What's the difference between that and the bits that are part of my body? Well, the ancient way of looking at this problem is by means of the soul. Your soul, your spirit, is your life principle. And that which is alive has been ensouled. It's been informed by our spirit. So all the different parts of my body are brought together into one body because it all lives by the same life by which I live. My hand has my life in it. I think sometimes we hear the word soul or spirit and, and we think a little bit too magically as if, you know, it were this kind of nebulous kind of cloud that hovers over the top of us and, and that's my soul. No, my soul is what makes me alive. My soul is the life principle of my body and the fact that my soul informs all the different parts of my body unites everything into one living organism. I've got bits, but... These bits are all me because they're alive by the same life by which I live. Okay, keep that in your mind. Because what St. Paul says is that having been baptized, we have all received the one spirit, the spirit of Christ. Now, just as the one spirit informs all the different parts of my body, making them all one, making them all live by the same life principle by which I live, now we have received from Christ his spirit, such that all the different bits, all the baptized, are incorporated into his body. We become the living members of his body because we are united in his spirit. We are all alive by the same life principle by which he lives. Now that is essential. We really got to get that picture and put it into our minds. Because we haven't been constituted as a political party. Christians haven't been brought together into a club or an association. In the spirit, we have been made an organism. And now we can see how closely we are related to Jesus. We are as close to him as the parts of our body are to us. 
This becomes key. We have received the life of Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that has turned us into a new living organism. We are made one in the body of Christ. This reality of being incorporated into the body of Christ, it's not just an image for Paul. It's a reality. It has changed who we are at our deepest level. And it describes how we relate to Jesus, how he has shared his life with us. And it describes how closely we are brought together into one communion with one another. You know, in the letter to the Colossians, um, St. Paul says this. He says, now the church is his body. He is its head. As he is the beginning, he was the first to be born from the dead, so that he should be first in every way, because God wanted all perfection to be found in him, and all things to be reconciled through him and for him, everything in heaven and everything on earth, when he made peace by his death on the cross. All right, I think we're actually getting a little closer now to understanding why the resurrection of Jesus is so key for us. He is the head, and we have been incorporated as members of his body. And if Jesus is raised from the dead, what happens to his body? His whole body will be raised from the dead. And this is why Jesus is described by St. Paul in our first reading as being the first fruits. Later, again in the Colossians, as being the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Because he has shared his life with us, his life pulses through our veins. And we look with hopeful expectation that because of this, he has shared his victory over death with us that the life which Jesus lives, the life of the Spirit which has been given to us in baptism, will not end in the grave. I tell you what, if we start to plumb the depths of this reality of us being members of the body of Christ, everything opens up for us. We suddenly discover a new depth in the Eucharist where we're nourished with the sacramental body of Christ so that we may indeed be the members of the body of Christ. If we plumb the depths of what it means to be members of the body of Christ, we suddenly start to understand more deeply the communion of the saints and the way that we've been drawn together. If we plumb the depths of the reality of us being the members of the body of Christ, we start to see just how close Jesus is to each one of us. He is the vine, we're the branches. He is the head, we're the members of his body. He is the first fruits. And we wait with joyful hope that we will share in his resurrection. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ.
For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot, at this moment, receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father. Amen.